Well, we've been uh, talking about discipleship. I mean, Tom has mentioned how important discipleship is, and that's part of the ministry of YWAM. And we've been talking about discipleship over the last few weeks. It's part of this uh, wanting to be a follower of Jesus, wanting to be a disciple of Jesus. And so uh, one of the things that we talked about is in the Gospels, there's a difference between the crowd and a disciple or a follower of Jesus. The crowd is someone that is, as long as Jesus is doing something that they like, like feed them or do, you know, heal them or do other kinds of miracles or teach some really nice stuff, they hang around. But as soon as Jesus calls them to something more or says, here's the cost of following me, then the crowd begins to disappear. A follower of Jesus is one who is is one who wants to become like Jesus. Jesus they see as their rabbi. They they want to be like Jesus. Now, as a follower of Jesus, they still want Jesus to feed them. They still want Jesus to heal, right? They still want Jesus to do miracles, so that's not anything different. The difference is is that when Jesus calls them to something more or says, here's the cost of being a disciple, they don't leave. They stay in. And in fact, they are all in. Now we talk about that we want to be disciples. We want to be followers of Jesus. We want to be of those who count the cost and we stay engaged. We stay in it. We mentioned uh, a number of times John Mark Comer, and he talks about a disciple is one who wants to be near Jesus, be like Jesus, and do what Jesus does. And one of the words that Comer uses instead of a disciple is apprentice, because apprentice gives us a better picture of, of what a follower of Jesus in Jesus' time looked like. An apprentice is one who comes along somebody and walks along with them and learns whatever skill it may be, and that's a picture of a disciple, one who comes alongside a rabbi and is learning all that they can learn about Jesus. This new series that we're going to start this summer, we're calling it Jesus Stories. And the reason why we're diving into this is because, again, if we want to be an apprentice of Jesus, we've got to know Jesus. We've got to know who he is, what he does. I mean, that's, that's our model, so let's, let's go look at him. And to help us with that, we are going to go through the Gospel of Luke together this summer. Now, last week we handed out a reading plan, and I think I... Oh, here, I did bring it up here. Um, We handed out a a reading plan for this summer, because this isn't just about showing up on Sunday morning and hear me talk about Jesus. We want you fully engaged in this. And if you didn't get one of these last Sunday, they're on the Next Steps counter, and you can pick one up. And the reading plan is very simple. Sorry. It's raining. Jesus brings sunshine by 11 o'clock so we can enjoy food outside together. We'll figure that out when we get there. Wow, it's, it's raining. Okay, so 
Two chapters a week is what we are doing, and so it's all in here, and you can go through it. So what we want you to do is read the two chapters ahead of time. So this last week, you would have read chapters 1 and 2, and then we're going to look in chapters 1 and 2 for a story. This next week, we want you to read chapters 3 and 4. Read it multiple times. Read it together as a household. Talk about it around your dinner table. What did you learn about Jesus as you were reading through this chapter? Talk about it and have a dialogue. We're, uh, as we dive into Luke, there's a couple things I want us to know about the Gospel of Luke. Luke was written, most church historians say that, uh, that Luke was written by Luke, thus the name Luke. Luke was a physician and a Gentile. And Jesus spent, uh, Luke spent much of his time with Paul on his missionary journeys. So uh, most people think that Ju- Luke's focus was on Hellenist Christians or those Christians, those Jewish Christians who spoke Greek. They were part of the dispersion when uh, Jerusalem fell and the Jewish people were spread all over the then-known world. A bunch of them landed in the, the Greek-speaking countries, and that's where they found their household. That's where they um, settled down. And so they began speaking the language of that area, and so Greek became their language. And so as Paul is traveling through these areas, he is preaching to them. They are hearing the gospel, and Luke is along with them. And so there is this idea as you read through this that that was kind of who Luke's focus was on. Luke gives us the reason why he wrote his gospel right away in the first couple of verses of Luke chapter 1. And so I'm going to ask you to turn there, otherwise you can read along on the screen above. Luke starts out, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that they have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. There it is, right there. The main reason why Luke wrote his gospel is so that you, Theophilus, may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Now, many think that Theophilus was a friend a, a friend of Luke's and maybe had heard many of the stories about this Jesus, this Messiah, and in that process probably had a lot of questions like, really? Did, did Jesus actually feed 5,000 people? And really? Did Jesus actually raise Lazarus from the dead? And really? Did Jesus honest, good questions that anybody who's wanting to follow Jesus may have. And so here you have Luke, and he's like, yes, that is real. And there are other Gospels that were also written, and there are even some Gospels that were written by other people that aren't part of our Bible today. So there was numbers of handwritten stories of this Jesus. And at the same time, 
that era was a lot of oral tradition, meaning because there's not printing presses, because we don't have email and we don't have Google, if you wanted to find out about somebody, you listened to the stories that were told. And in fact, many communities would have an official storyteller. This person was really good at telling stories. They knew the stories. And so people would gather around and they would tell the stories. Very few people had anything that was written down on any kind of paper or parchment or any kind of document. Oral tradition was the way the, the stories got out. So here's Luke, and he's like, I'm going to check out all of these stories. I'm going to go and actually talk to the eyewitnesses, the people who were there to get the details, and then I'm going to put it down. Thankfully, Luke was a doctor. Why? Because hopefully your doctor pays attention to details, right? I mean, we don't want to have a doctor that says, yeah, I kind of think that this is wrong with you, and I kind of think that maybe this is what you should do, and yeah, I'm not quite sure. I, I mean, that, you don't want to hear that from your doctor, right? You want to hear from your doctor detail. You want to hear why, what's wrong, all that kind of stuff. And here you have Luke, a doctor, and that kind of detail he puts into his gospel or his story of Jesus. Now, today we're going to look at the first two chapters, and we're going to really focus on when Jesus is a boy. Because as we look at uh, the first two chapters, most of us know the first chapter and into about verse 20 of the second chapter because it's the Christmas story. And most of us read the Christmas story every year. So because it's not Christmas and we read the Christmas story, I'm not going to pay attention right now to that section. So I'm going to go look more, starting with verse 41. And the story, and the, the title of my message today is Preparing for Mission, because what we're going to see here is we're going to see Jesus is beginning to be prepared, and how he is prepared for the mission that God has brought him there, why he came. So let's turn to Luke chapter 2, and starting with verse 41, we're going to read through this story. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Now, the festival of the Passover, this is when the Jews would get together, remember when uh, God brought the Israelites out of Egypt. And if you remember the Passover, that's when they put blood on the doorstops and so that the angel of death would pass over and the eldest son of all the Egyptians died and, and the Jewish sons were saved. And so that's part of celebrating the Passover is that Passover, which then opened the door for, for uh, the Israelites to get out of Egypt. Um, so for that week... Jewish people would go to Jerusalem to celebrate. It was a big deal. They would eat unleavened bread, and they would remember and celebrate. So for Joseph and Mary, being devout Jews, this is something they did every year. They went uh, to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Verse 42, 
When he was 12 years old, that's Jesus, they went up to the festival according to custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. I don't know. Some of you moms kind of twitching there maybe a little bit. Your 12-year-old son, you're not aware of where they are right at that moment. Uh, So let's continue reading. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Okay, now company meaning... You know, they were with family and friends, the community. There was a bunch of them that traveled together. Safety in numbers. I don't know how many numbers. It doesn't tell us. But how do you travel for a day and not see your 12-year-old boy? I, today's culture, some parent might get turned in <laughs> to social services, right? Anyways... These kind of things stick out in my brain when I read through stories. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Can you imagine what is going through Joseph and Mary's minds right now? You traveled for a day, then you find out Jesus isn't there. So now you've got to travel a day back back to Jerusalem, which at that time was a city of maybe sixty to 70,000 people. Imagine U.S. Bank Stadium. U.S. Bank Stadium seats about 70,000. Imagine trying to find your 12-year-old son in the midst of that. The city was only at that time about a square mile, but a square mile. And 60,000, 70,000 people. During the major festivals, what would happen is that the city would swell sometimes up to 150, maybe 180,000 people. At least they turned around and went and looked for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Now, that's probably a normal response, right? You might be a little anxious. Can you imagine, um, I mean, think about what should Jesus' response have been if Jesus is a good kid? Sorry, Mom. Sorry, Dad. Lost track of time. You know, I was so caught up in the teaching that was going on. Really sorry. Here's Jesus' response. Why were you searching for me? Uh, They might have been a little worried, might have been anxious. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand understand what he was saying to them. Well, yeah, right? That's probably one of the most truthful statements right there. If that was happening to one of our sons when they were 12, 
I wouldn't understand it. Why are you searching for me? It's only been three days. What are you talking about? Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor of God and man. Now, there's a number of places that we can take this story. I mean, we can talk about Joseph and Mary not knowing where Jesus is for three days. Maybe even think about the foreshadowing of three days. Here, oh, What about Jesus' death and resurrection? Three days. Where does Jesus go? We can maybe talk about Father's house. What, what is that what is, is that for Joseph? Uh, you, know, you know, Joseph knows that Jesus isn't his biological son, but at the same time, for 12 years you're invested, and then he talks about another father's house. I mean, there's a number of different places that we could go with this, but the main point that I want us to hit on today as we look at this story is this. And Jesus grew. Now, sometimes we forget that when Jesus came, Jesus then came and was birthed and then started up in feeding 5,000 and teaching these amazing messages and raising the dead. Jesus was an infant who had messy diapers, who had to be fed, had to be cared for. Jesus, who had to be taught the Scripture. There's so much we don't know about Jesus' life from the time he was born until he's 30 years old. There's so much. I mean, we get the picture of when he's born, and then we get this little snippet of when he's 12, and then nothing until he's 30. In fact, when we move into Luke chapter 3, we go right to John the Baptist, and Jesus getting baptized, and the 40 days in the wilderness. We skip a bunch. So what happened from 12 until 30? 18 years. Jesus grew. Now, the Greek word for grew talks about... Developing further, but it's got its foundation in blacksmithing. From the idea of hammering a piece of metal to make it longer. To cause it to move forward, to grow. So to grow means to be intentional about doing the things that cause you to grow. It's not just he stood there and he grew. There's an intentionality to that growth. It is a hammering of a piece of metal type of thing. That means Jesus did things in those 18 years that helped him grow. The question is, what did Jesus do? Now let me remind you, I just um, in Philippians 2, it's just a reminder of that this Jesus that came, he was fully God and fully man, but he emptied himself of his very nature. Let's look at what Philippians 2 says here. Interrelations with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being 
In very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Jesus surrendered all that he had. He's still fully God, fully man. He's not, we're not taken away. But all that access to the power and the knowledge and all that kind of stuff, he surrendered and came as a baby, as an infant, and started out where you and I start. So even at 12, even though at 12 he had some, he had a drive, that's his fully God piece, to go to his father's house. He knew that stuff. It was in there. He still had to grow and increase in three things. Wisdom, stature, and favor. At least that's what Luke tells us. So what does it mean that Jesus grew in wisdom? Wisdom is accumulated knowledge, it's, it's enlightenment, it's being able to give wise advice, it's usually associated with older people because they have life experience behind them, it's more than just head knowledge, it's not just head knowledge, it's knowledge that gets into the heart, it's knowledge that is about experience. That's why if you want to talk to somebody and get some advice, generally you go to somebody who is older than you, who has more experience than you. This is the kind of knowledge that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians when he talks about don't be boasting about your head knowledge. It's not about here. It's about your belief. It's what's in your heart. In fact, James puts it this way in chapter 3, verse 13. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Well, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Now, this is a kind of wisdom. It's earthly wisdom. It's, if, if you're bitter and jealous and envious, again, that's, that's what you believe in here. It's what you're believing here, and it's coming out. If that's the way you are, that's not the kind of wisdom that Jesus grew in. What kind of wisdom that Jesus grew in is what comes next. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap the harvest of righteousness. Growing in wisdom. Remember now, Joseph was most likely teaching Jesus all about the Torah, all about the Old Testament. Jesus learned, like every other child, about the Word and, God's, and knowing God's Word, about knowledge. He, and, and, and so Jesus grew because of his intention in getting to know God's Word. Second thing that... Jesus grew in his stature. This has 
to do with growth and physical growth, but it also has to do with maturity. There's an assumption here that when you get older, you become more mature. For some of this, it took a little longer to become mature than others. Um, you, you know, thankfully, you, you know me now and not when I was younger, because maturity might have been an issue for me. In fact, uh, I won't mention names, but there's somebody here whose daughter I went to college with, who when this daughter found out I was becoming the pastor here, her comment was, well, I hope Brad has grown up since college. And there's a lot of truth to that statement. But Jesus grew in maturity. Okay, let's, let's go back to James. James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, that perseverance finish its work, so that you may mature, be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Now again, we don't know what happened during those 18 years of Jesus' life, but you know that Jesus faced trials. He faced stuff that helped him grow in his maturity. He, he, he was intentional about persevering and becoming mature. He grew in that area. Favor is the last thing that Jesus grew in. This is goodwill that is freely given by God. It's his grace. It's his kindness. How do you grow in favor? Well, one of our commandments gives us a picture of what favor might look like. In Exodus 2 or 20, here's, here's that commandment. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. When you honor somebody, when you obey people who are over you, good things happen. You, you do that so that you find favor. Paul resays this command in Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. He says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is your first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Favor comes as you learn to obey, as you learn to live your life in a way that honors others. Favor comes. Jesus grew. Does that mean, again, Jesus sinless, didn't, he didn't sin. Jesus fully God, fully man. So I don't fully grasp this, but we have to understand that Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor. He grew in that. That's what was happening during the 18 years. Again, don't know for, show, for, know for sure how it all happened, but here's what Luke tells us. Jesus grew. So how do we grow? As an apprentice of Jesus, how do we grow? Well, to grow in wisdom, what's the first thing we need to do? Study God's Word. Okay, You have to get to know God's Word. Because that is where wisdom lies. And if you don't know God's word, then you're not going to grow in wisdom. You may grow in the wisdom of this earth, but you're not going to grow in the wisdom of heaven. Jesus was able to recite God's word in every situation that he faced. We see it definitely in the 40 days in the wilderness, but there's other places where he, he recited the Old Testament. Maturity. How do we grow in maturity? 
I'm putting down pray. Why am I putting down pray? It's because it is in prayer time when we're having a communion with God and God is wise, right? And we go to prayer, not with just our laundry list of wants, but we go to hear from God, to hear His word, His desire. It's this two-way dialogue. And if Jesus withdrew often as an adult, that didn't just start when He was baptized. You have to know that that was a rhythm that He developed from the time he was young. Now, yeah, I don't have any place I can point to in, my, in the Bible to say, here's where it says that Jesus, when he was 13 years old, he was... <laughs> no, 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 no. But Jesus grew in this stuff. Now, how, how do we grow in favor? This is the hard one. Obey. If you're in God's Word, and you're praying, and you're hearing from God... Now obey. You want to gain favor with God? Obey. We heard earlier, kids, you want to gain favor with your parents? Obey. So as an apprentice of Jesus, we want to grow in wisdom and maturity and in favor. And that means we be intentional about growing in wisdom by being in God's Word, growing in maturity by often withdrawing to lonely places to pray, and then doing what God says. That's how we'll grow in those three areas. So my challenge for us this week, as apprentice of Jesus, what is one way I can do something to be intentional about growing in one of these three areas? What if you took some time this week and you just sat down and said, okay, so how am I doing on the maturity level? Mm, I could probably use some work on that. Well, maybe I need to spend some time alone with God. How am I doing on the wisdom piece? Ah, maybe I need to read the Bible and find out what God has to say about some of the things that I'm doing. What if I feel like everything's going wrong and I don't have favor with anybody? Maybe I need to revisit some of the things that God has already told me to do that I haven't done yet. The other thing I'm going to challenge you to do is as you do this, as you think through this, take some time and talk to somebody else and pray together and encourage each other on this journey. So let us commit together to be like Jesus, to grow in wisdom, in maturity, and in favor. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for just <clears throat> yeah, sending your son Jesus to be an example for us. So I pray for your grace and mercy as we move toward becoming more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.